Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. It's really good to see everyone. Um, for you new folks, we teach in series, meaning uh, we take a topic and we talk about it for several weeks, and our screen just went black. <laughs> um, and we've been talking about what we call the Doubters Club, a club that we all have belonged to at one time or another. And today's specific topic is when you feel abandoned by God. Now, Life is difficult, and we all have bad things happen to us, however you classify bad, right? Bad relationship things, bad health things, bad financial things, whatever it might be. And so when bad things happen, it's easy to wonder, where's God? Uh, God's supposed to be good, and so good things should be happening to me, and bad things are happening. So to start off, I want to talk about the worst thing that happened to the best person that ever lived, all right? Uh, this is recorded in Matthew chapter 27. If you want to look at these scriptures in, in your, your Bible, that's fine. We'll put them on the screen. And if you have an outline, you have it there. <clears throat> From noon until three in the afternoon, that would be on that, first, that Friday before the first Easter, right? Darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus who had been nailed on the cross at nine in the uh, uh, six in the morning, cried out in a loud voice, screamed, if you will, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, and nobody knows what that means, right? Different language. So the Bible translates for us. It says, my God, my God, not your God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, theologically, we can understand why this happened. Uh, on the cross, Jesus took your sins and my sins, the sins of all mankind, on himself. As a result of that, God can't look on sin, so God had to turn his back on Jesus temporarily as he died for our sins. So he felt abandoned, rejected, forsaken by God. Actually, he was. All of us have been rejected. We've all had these feelings. Uh, go back to those of us who have uh, dated. Some, my case, some girl rejected me. Um, could be you've gotten married and been divorced and somebody rejected you. It could be a work situation where you got fired, you were rejected by your employer. It could have been in school, you got uh, failed a class, you rejected. <clears throat> All kinds of instances where you and I have been rejected in life. And it is painful, isn't it? It hurts. So, why? Why God? Why am I in pain? And one result of that is sometimes we, either temporarily or maybe permanently, we reject God. Say, so if you rejected me, I'm going to reject you. It's kind of a natural response, right? If you're going to not make my life better, then... Thanks, but no thanks, God. And so, you may quit doing religious things, going to church, reading your Bible, praying, um, giving, uh, volunteering at uh, Kids Zone or whatever it might be. So, I'm going to talk to you about a positive response that you and I can have when we're in those times in our lives, those situations. Actually, three, I said. Three positive responses when you feel abandoned by God. First one is remind yourself. 
that God loves you and is with you. Now, this is a feeling, right? A, a feeling of rejected, a feeling of being forsaken. Feelings aren't always real, right? I mean, they're always real, but they're not always true. Just because I feel rejected doesn't mean I was rejected. <clears throat> so, we're going to look at a promise of God recorded in Hebrews. And um, it says this. He, God, has said, I will never, under any circumstances, desert you. Nor give up, nor leave you without support, nor will I in any degree leave you helpless. Nor will I forsake you or let you down or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. Now that's pretty strong language, right? That's pretty clear that <laughs> there's no way God's going to ever forsake me. I may feel forsaken, I may feel rejected, but there's no way that God is ever going to do that. As a result of that, let me give you a couple things I thought about. First, because God is with us, you're not alone. You ever feel lonely? You ever feel lonely? But you're not. You're never alone. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, this is, we're talking about Jesus followers, and we're glad that you're here or you're watching. Um, but as a Jesus follower, we're never alone. Uh, recorded in Matthew, actually the last thing Jesus said that we have recorded. Uh, in the Matthew, we call the Great Commission, where God sends His church out, right? Go into all the world and tell people about me. But then the last thing that Jesus said, it's recorded in Matthew 28, 20. I am with you always. What's always mean? Always, right? Remaining with you perpetually, regardless of circumstances, on every, and every, on every occasion, even to the end of the age. Now, how is God always with us? Well, our belief is that the Holy Spirit, as you become a believer, invite Jesus into your life, Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. So I'm literally never alone. God dwells in me. So, because God is with us, what else? God is with us. You can take your hard questions to Him. Do you have hard questions? Things are confusing. Things don't seem to have an answer. Maybe you can't find the answer in this book. Um, what do you do? Well, we have a, this scripture is going to say a high priest. That means Jesus. Um, this is in Hebrews also. For we have a high priest who is, who, 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 excuse me, is not have a high priest who is unable to empathize. I missed that word. <laughs> uh, say he's unable to empathize? No. He's able to empathize with us in our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So God is able to, in Jesus, not just sympathize, but empathize. He came to earth and took on a body so he could empathize with us. He understands all our feelings. In fact, the feeling of being abandoned by God, Jesus felt on the cross. So, consequently, what's the author tell us to do? So, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence or boldness, all right? Well, I may be feel rejected by God. Things may, may not be going very well. But in that circumstances, I'm invited to come boldly to God with confidence that I may receive what? 
mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So again, why? Why is this happening to me? Why do I, somebody was in the hospital. Why was I hospitalized? God, why does that happen to me? Why has somebody uh, rejected me? Why have I had, had this health issue? Why do I have this financial issue? Why do I have this interpersonal relationship? Why do I have this job issue? Why do I have this church issue? Why? Why is there terrible things in the world? Sex trafficking and abortion and all these other terrible things. Why? Well, we can approach God with that question. And he says he's going to give us mercy and we will find grace. So I thought about difficult times in our lives and usually death of loved ones is right there on top of the list, right? Some of you have lost loved ones. We lost a a daughter-in-law and a future son-in-law, both in their early 30s. And uh, we expect to live longer than that, right? And so it affects our our children and our families, and uh, it's difficult, and there's, there's no explanation, is there? So out of four children, two of them have lost spouse or a future spouse. So we go to God and say, help, I need help. I'm grieving, I need help. He always gives us grace. He'll give us peace. He might not, he doesn't always give us answers, but he gives us peace in the midst of those difficulties. And also because God is with us, this difficult season, this season of doubt, this season is part of your story, not the entire story. And the longer you live, the easier it is to understand this. (laughs) You go through these periods of difficulty and doubt and feeling rejected and abandoned, whatever but then you come out on the other side. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Who knows what 1 Corinthians 13 is? Pretty easy question. What do we call it? A love chapter, right? It's an interesting verse in there. Right before the verse ends, Paul is writing it. He says this, Now we see things imperfectly. And he uses an illustration, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then in the future, we're going to see everything perfectly clear. Not now, but in the future. All that I know now is partial and complete. I don't know all the answers. I don't know all what's going on. But then, in the future, I'll know everything completely. Won't that be amazing? I'll have all the answers, just as God knows me completely. So not only have all the answers, I'll have the perfect relationship with God and with others. And I thought of probably the most dramatic example of this is on that day Jesus died, right? Did anybody see things perfectly then? Did anybody understand? In fact, there were no Jesus followers after that because you don't follow somebody who's dead. Three days later, there was some clarity, right? There was some understanding of what had happened. So God is writing a story. We have God's general story in here, but We all have God's story that he's writing in our lives. So I put on your outline this. Don't let that difficult chapter of your life define the rest of your life. Don't let that period of grieving continue for the rest of your life. 
Don't let it reflect those shortcomings, those problems, those things that we felt like we let God down. Don't let that define the rest of your life. So as you get older like me, it's easy to look back and say, well, that was a difficult time, but then the good time came. That was a difficult time, but then there was a, a good thing that came from it. And sometimes in it, it feels like you're not going to make it through it. But one of the promises, God, he'll help you through the difficulty. So that's one positive response when you feel abandoned by God. Secondly, this is something that's really been helpful to me. Turn those why questions, why God, into what God. That's a completely different question. We don't have to understand why to be able to benefit from those periods of doubt and feelings of rejection. Firstly, ask God what, what? Here again, ask God what? What do you want to teach me? All right? Everything is a teachable moment, right? So God, I'm going through this difficulty, and I'm maybe even doubting you. I feel rejected, abandoned, whatever it might be. What do you want to teach me? Now, this is always fascinating to me, and some of you may be better theologians than me, and you can help me understand this, because in uh, this passage in Hebrews, it says this, even though Jesus was God's son, and we say, oh, he's perfect, right? He learned things. So evidently, when he was younger, he didn't know everything. There were some things he learned. So, he learned obedience from the things, what? From the good times? No, from the things he suffered. So you and I can learn in our suffering. And specifically, we can learn obedience. And so I think Jesus grew in his obedience. That's what learning means, right? And so when it came to that most critical point when he's on the cross dying for our sins, he could have called the angels and said, hey, I've had enough, I can't do this anymore. He was able to be obedient even to the point of suffering and death. Now the problem is we tend to question God's character when we have bad things happen to us. Again, a good God's not going to let bad things happen. Well, no, God's not causing it to happen. But we live in a fallen, sinful world. Bad things happen, right? In fact, if God wasn't as gracious and merciful as He is to us, our lives would be much worse, wouldn't they? So we question either God's power or God's love or God's grace or something else. So, what do you want to teach me? Another question. What do you want to do in me? How do you want to change me? How do you want to grow me? How do you want to mature me? Give an example from Scripture. A guy by the name of Paul, we talk about him a lot. He wrote some of our favorite parts of the New Testament, right? Half the New Testament. So, he had great revelations from God, and some of them he describes to us, and, and he says, uh, just amazing revelations from God. But he had this big problem, this big issue. He called it a thorn in his flesh. That's pretty dramatic, right? We don't know what it was, but it, he considered it a, a hindrance to his, his uh, ministry, working for God. So he, he prayed. Okay, God, this is hindering my working for you. You certainly want to remove this from me, right? So I can, it won't hinder me. 
And he prayed three times, I think three extended times, and God each time said, no, I'm not going to remove this thorn. So, what was God trying to do? Well, Paul tells us he figured it out, what God was trying to do through him. In him, excuse me. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, God really blessed him. So, here's the reason. To keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, to torment me and keep me from becoming, again, what? Proud, and we might say arrogant or feel like I can do it myself, right? So, it's not why God, but what? Ah, okay, I understand. I've got this thorn in my flesh, not physical probably, but this is keeping me from being proud. It's keeping me humble. And then he says that God says to him, my grace is sufficient. So I'm able to carry you through this thorn, this pain. Then he says, my power, God says, my power is made is, is great, great, greatest in your weakness. So Paul says, hey, I'm glad I'm weak because then God can work through me. So how do we, you and I, deal with the pain? By God's grace. And thirdly, ask, what do you want to do through me? What do you want to teach me? What do you do in me? What do you want to do through me? So Jesus is hanging on the cross, right? And he's dying. And he's in great pain. And why? What is the meaning or what is the purpose of the cross? How is he able to do it? The writer of Hebrews says it this way. Jesus, by fixing his eyes, Jesus fixing his eyes on God, the, the author of Hebrews is talking about this, excuse me. For the joy set before him, speaking about Jesus, he endured the cross. Right? So, there was a joy coming, but terrible pain at the present. But he knew it was coming, so he was able to endure, scor um, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So how was he endured? He was fixed his eyes. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus fixed his eyes on God. He focused on the purpose. So, there's pain, purpose in our pain. And then the author goes on and says this. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, that's what we've been talking about, right? We have doubts. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. The long litany of hostility he plowed through. So I look at Jesus, and I look at all the things he suffered. And it says it should inspire us. It should shoot adrenaline into our souls. In reality, greatest, our greatest pains often produce the greatest calling. Jesus' calling was to, to suffer and die for you and I, right? Pay for our sin. And so that caused his greatest pain. And thirdly, a third positive response from feeling abandoned by God. Trace God's hand. When you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Trust his character. When you can't figure out what's, what's, what's happening. 
So Jesus on the cross, he says, God, why, why, why are you forsaking me? And you would think at that point he would turn his, God, if you're rejecting me, I'm going to reject you. But he just, he did the exact opposite. So the last thing that Jesus said on the cross is this. Jesus again shouted or screamed, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Even though you, I feel like you've abandoned me, I am trusting you. And with those words, he breathed his last. So, where potential was to give up his trust, it turned up his trust. It got him through. So I put it on your outline this way. Trust in God. Maybe easier for us to understand it this way. Trust in the promises of God. This is an interesting verse in 2 Corinthians that says this. For as many as are the promises of God, this book is full of thousands of promises of God. They are all answered yes in Christ. They're all true in Christ. So through him we say amen to the glory of God. Amen. Let it be so. Right? Or I believe it. So I put, I think there's five promises. Again, there's thousands of promises. I put five promises on the end of your outline. We're going to read them. I want you to just kind of think, which one of those is the most meaningful to me? Which is the most helpful to me in whatever... Uh, pain, or suffering you're going through. All right, so here we go. The first one we already read. He has said, I will never under any circumstance desert you, nor give up, nor leave you without support, nor will I in any degree leave you helpless, nor will I forsake you, or let you down, or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. Amen. Let it be so. Romans chapter 8. Very familiar promise of God. We are confident that God is able to orchestrate everything to work towards something good and beautiful when we love Him and accept His invitation to live according to His plan. So this is not a promise for everyone. This is a promise for a Jesus follower. Again, amen, let it be so. Now notice it says, it doesn't say that you're always going to be happy. Obviously, bad things happen. But God can work good from any bad thing. Um, what's the next one? Ephesians. Now, all glory to God. It starts off with that. All glory to God. Amen to God. Who is able, through His mighty power, at work within us, to accomplish what? Infinitely more than we might even ask or think. Isn't that a credible promise? I don't know about you, but I can imagine pretty big things. But God is able to accomplish even more than you and I can even ask or imagine or, or pray for. That's a promise of God. Another promise, a pretty popular one, Philippians chapter 4. And this same God who takes care of me, Paul's writing, will supply all your needs from his glorious riches. God owns the universe, right? So he never runs out of supply. So he supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which has been given to us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let it be so. Now notice again, it doesn't say all your wants, 
all my wants, but all your needs. So my question is, your question is, what do you need right now? What do you need? Do you need peace? Do you need assurance? Do you need hope? God says, I will supply all your needs. And last one, from Lamentations, the Lord's loyal kindness never ceases. So God's loyal to you and His kindness to you never ends, never ceases. His compassion never ends. God is compassionate to you and to me. They are fresh. His compassions are fresh every morning. Your faithfulness is abundant. Amen. Let it be so. Let me end with this. God, your character does not change when I have a bad day. Amen. Let it be so. Let me pray with you. Father God, thank you. <laughs> thank you for this series. It's been helpful to me. I hope to these folks if they've listened and we've worked through this topic. But one of the areas of doubt and sometimes we may even leave our faith because bad things happen and we don't always understand. Maybe there isn't a, a, a reason for us to understand. So the question comes, do we trust you? Do we really believe that you can bring good out of this mess that I'm in or this mess that I've made or this pain that's out of my control, death of a loved one or some illness? Well, I know you have all these promises, God, but do I really believe? And all I need to do is look at the cross and look at Jesus, how he even believed when he felt forsaken. And you carried him through to the place of glory. So God, we claim that promise for ourselves, that you'll carry us through, that you'll work good that we can have peace and we can have grace and we can have strength in our weakness. And there's purpose in our pain and there's purpose in, in uh, thorns in the flesh, whatever it might be. So God, we want to trust you. We want to trust you now. We want to trust you today. We want to trust you tomorrow. We want to trust you and we want to pray for any of you that are not trusting God right now. Either you used to and gave up that trust or you've never stepped across that line and trust Jesus. And I'm going to just tell you that God loved you enough, you personally, that he sent his son to die for you personally and to forgive your sins. And the Bible tells us he did this while we were yet sinners, while we had no interest in you, God. When we had our, turned our backs on you, you gave your precious, most precious thing so that we would have an opportunity to be in relationship with you, accepting that gift. So if it takes an act of faith, and we need to take that step of belief. So I pray that today would be the day that you would do that. And anyone that, would, that has made that decision, we pray that you would let us know so we can be 
uh, a support to you, a guide to you. Scripture calls it a new birth. And just like a new baby needs you know, 24-7 care, a new believer needs 24-7 care. So, Father God, we pray for those that have stepped across that line just now, that you will grow them through us and others and through the knowledge of your word. Thank you for meeting in this place today through the music and through, through your word. Continue to speak to us. Change us. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.